Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now, to Dave Hooker. Ready. Two things I don't believe in, hyperbole and predicting future success. That being said, this will be the best show you've ever seen. Quite simply, it's just that easy. Fred White will join us Football Friday with Fred. We're going to talk transitioning into football as a high school prospect into college. We're also going to talk some baseball as those pesky, pesky diamond balls made it to the College World Series. We'll visit with John Wilkerson, the voice of the diamond balls. I think he's already in Omaha, and this cat's going there as well. It's our own Caleb Giroux, who also happens to be the sports editor of a Daily Beacon, is a rising star and uh, has done a fantastic job of covering recruiting. A big visit weekend. We're going to get to that as well. But he's about off to Omaha, and Jeru played baseball and uh, knows the LSU program quite well, being from that area. So we're looking forward to the preview. Caleb Calhoun, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Happy Friday to you guys. I'm ready to go. I got the Foo Fighters on Sunday night, so I'm pretty excited. Uh, Caleb, they start at 930 instead of 7, though, so I don't know how that's going to work out for old Dave. Caleb Jeru, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are y'all? Good. Uh, fantastic coverage, recruiting. We will get to that. A big visit weekend. Please go ahead and hit that like button. And if you haven't subscribed to this point, and I'm also told by the YouTube powers that be, turn your notifications on because we've got more Celebrate 98 coming your way. Brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company. Jeff Hall is up there. Clutch kicker. And it's hard to be a captain as a kicker but he managed that. So hit that like button for me. Caleb Giroux, there's no question about it that Tennessee should be commended for going to Hattiesburg, getting through the Super Regional, but it doesn't get any easier when you go to Omaha, especially with LSU and arguably the best player in the nation on the mound. Your thoughts of the matchup? Yeah, Tennessee got a, a lot of people are talking about like if they should reseed when teams make it to Omaha, because Tennessee side of the bracket is loaded. You've got Wake Forest, which is arguably the best team in the country, LSU, which is probably number two in the country, and then you've got Stanford, who defeated Texas and hosted their own regional and super regional, and then Tennessee on that side. And you get and Tennessee gets to see the best pitcher in the country game one. 
So the Vols only hit 205 in Hattiesburg against Southern Mississippi, and they're pitching. Obviously, yes, Tanner Hall is a good pitcher, and they put four on him. But besides that, Southern Miss really didn't have a lot of flashy names. So I really worry about them having to face Paul Skeens and seeing, you know, triple digits triple digits all night with three pitches thrown for strikes. And he leaves the nation in strikeouts, and he's chasing Ben McDonald's strikeout record for a reason. So I worry about Tennessee in that ballpark and facing Paul Skeens, but we'll see what happens on Saturday night. There we go. And uh, coverage of the College World Series is brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Save you thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. That's andymasonrealestate.com. He's my realtor. Should be yours. Best prices and best service in the biz. It's just that easy. Calhoun? Jaru, so who does this help? Because I know what you were talking about last week with Tennessee's offense, but obviously there were two rain delays because of just the disastrous weather. Well, I just pulled up the uh, forecast in Omaha, and it looks like uh, thunderstorms are in the forecast all afternoon tomorrow from like 1 to 11. <laughs> so just, that, That's fine, though, Calhoun, as long as they're not in Manchester, Tennessee for Bonnaroo on Sunday night because <laughs> we, just, we just bought the tickets. It can rain there, and we can postpone that thing, but the Foo Fighters aren't hanging out. Sorry, Calhoun, go ahead. I'm not sure. Dave, I don't know. I don't know if you know what you're getting into going to a, to a music fest uh, three days. Yes. This is. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I don't know either. Um. So, but Jeru, who, if weather is off and on, do you think that hurts Tennessee's offense or helps it? In game one, I'm not as sure it plays as big of a factor. So when you're facing LSU, their bullpen is not deep. But um, they have a couple pitchers who they can pull out in a rain delay. My worry is if you get in the game two or three, it'll probably help Tennessee more than hurt just because of how many pitchers and arms they can throw out of a rain delay if the starter uh, has to come out because of rain or anything like that. More so with Tennessee's offense is that ballpark does not play well for Tennessee's offense. If you, They got some timely hits in Hattiesburg, timely hits in Clemson. Like Zane Denton's – home run to keep the balls alive in Clemson was a wall scraper really and if you look at Charles Schwab field that ball is probably caught not even on the warning track and the ball does not fly in Omaha at all so I worry that if they try to rely on the home run ball like they have in the past that it might not play well for them but as for rain I really think until you get to game two or three it doesn't matter because most teams and I assume LSU and Tennessee included are going to throw their best arms night one and try to stay in the winner's bracket so, given that fact, it's going to be it's going to come down to Tennessee's pitching, then, right? So, how does Tennessee's pitching? How can they hold up against LSU's lineup? Andrew Lindsay got hit around by Southern Miss, but before that, he looked really, really good, and that's who I assume will pitch Friday night. And then, obviously, you have Chase Burns coming out of the bullpen in a closer role. He was throwing one hundred two, one hundred one against Southern Miss with a slider that was moving two feet off the plate. So, I mean. Their pitching is there. Just LSU has proven that they can hit good pitching. I mean, their lineup's hitting over 300. They have the one of the country, top country top leaders in the country in RBIs. You have Dylan Cruz, who will probably win the Golden Spikes and be a top five draft pick. So not only will Tennessee have to put up with a lineup that consistently puts up six, seven, eight runs a game, you also have to face the best pitcher on the mound. And that's really why LSU has gotten to the point they're at this season and why they took two of three from LSU earlier or took two or three excuse me from Tennessee earlier in the year 
So as if there were two or three uh, Tennessee position players that you would point at that need to have a big game against LSU, because you're right, you stay in that winner's bracket, it changes everything, basically. So there are three guys that are position players, not pitchers, that need to have a, a good show in Saturday night. Who would that be? Well, I think the bottom of the lineup has to produce at some point. So Cal Stark is obviously probably going to end up in the nine hole again, your catcher. Getting his bat hot in Omaha would be huge to roll over that lineup because in Hattiesburg, it felt like that the seven, eight, nine spots or really just the eight, nine spots are kind of dead. And then you get stuck not being able to roll over the lineup and you have to lead off nine, one, two instead of one, two, three and just that whole deal. So I feel like the bottom of the lineup has to produce. And you also look at a guy like Blake Burke where you know the production is there. And he had a good weekend in the Super Regionals, but he's kind of slowed down in the second half of the season. So if he can play to his uh, potential, I think Tennessee will be in a really good spot. And then you just look at a guy like Jared Dickey, who's been consistent. And just as long as he doesn't fall off and he keeps hitting at a high clip and keeps producing at the plate, then I feel like the balls could have some success. Guys, uh, y'all call me the LSU homer, but who's the bigger LSU homer, me or Jaru? Because it sounds like he's picking LSU to win this. <laughs> it does sound like you're picking LSU to win this, but I can't go against that when you have Golden Spikes potential winner. And I mean, they're, they're, LSU's really good. That's what I mean. I don't. I don't think anybody can beat Paul Skeens right now, unless it rains in the third inning, and Paul Skeens can't come back. I think uh, Tennessee or LSU, excuse me, has a pretty good shot to win this first game. Now, if the two match up in the losers bracket in a couple of days, and LSU is rolling out a bullpen game, then I'd probably pick Tennessee. But I don't think anybody can pick against Paul Skeens at this point. No, that's fair. Go ahead and uh, click that like button if you haven't subscribed yet. Do that. Turn your notifications on. Let's grow this thing today because you should be excited. The College World Series. People have asked me for years, what kind of sports do you like? I like the sports where people go home crying or they go home with just incredible joy and the college world series is that so i get excited for events like that i think you can probably hear it my voice caleb is this team i know last year's falls didn't make it to the college world series but is this team better suited from a mentality standpoint because they're not as cocky they, they're not as vociferous in uh, their confidence. Are they better suited to go to o- Omaha and have success than last year's group had they made it? I think more so they just don't have as big of a target on their back. There was no expectations for this team because you lost eight defensive starters. So everything they've done from this point, and you've heard some of the players talk about it too, they're playing with nothing to lose. You go to Clemson as the two seed and their regional beat them. You go to Southern Miss – Everybody isn't picking you to win. So it's really there's no target on Tennessee's back and you're playing with nothing to lose. And any team with nothing to lose is very, very dangerous at this point in the season, especially in baseball. You know, you've been around this program a lot. You've covered them throughout this season. And I don't want to read too much into a couple of quotes, but I've read a couple of quotes that kind of speak to quiet confidence, which is the exact opposite of last year. Do you feel that kind of being around this team? Yeah, and I think it's more so just the personalities on the team. Last year you had a lot of guys like like a Drew Gilbert who liked to show a lot of emotion and stuff on the field. And you still have that this year with Christian Moore. But I would say he's probably the only one that really 
is as outspoken and emotional compared to last year's team. I mean, you look at a guy like Zane Denton, and yeah, he'll bad flip every once in a while, but it's nothing like we saw last year where they're walking, you know, 45 feet down the line or, and, you know, you think of like a Griffin Merritt compared to anybody else from last year's team, like a Trey Lipscomb who led last year's team. And it's just, I feel like it's more personalities and then it's kind of contributed to a quiet confidence with this team versus last year's personalities contributed to a loud, outspoken, bat flipping team. And really, I mean, this team is second in program history in home runs. So it's not like they're hit, not, it's not like they're not hitting the home runs. They're still hitting them. It's just the personalities on this team don't vote as much for the outspoken and loud and everything we saw last year. It is funny to think about. We're talking about Tennessee eking into the college world series as almost an off year. I mean, it's not, it's not an off year. It's a sign of where the program has gotten to. All right, I want to get to the official visitors, but uh, first real quick and fill this out on the message board. I want to hear your thoughts. They're going to build that Neyland Thompson bowling fan experience thing between Neyland Stadium and Thompson Bowling Arena. I've been told that means more potential arena shows in Neyland Stadium besides Kenny Chesney. Lord, nobody needs to see that again. But as far as one act you would like to see in Neyland Stadium, the correct answer is Metallica. But after that, who would it be? And I want to hear the message board, but first the Caleb's before we get to the official visitors. You well, go first, Calhoun. Since I was born. If somebody says Kendrick Lamar, I'm going to get physically ill. Kendrick Lamar is amazing. I saw him at Firefly. Oh, He's right. an amazing Good. performer. Give me, all right, like, give me your big. But I had already said Taylor Swift. So, you know. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you some love on Taylor Swift. Not my style of music. What about you, Drew? Uh, I would I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I, my, the first thing that popped in my head was the Red Hot Chili Peppers because they only went to, like, the Braves Stadium and stuff like that. So, I guess they could do Thompson Bowling. They're in Chicago for Lala. You want to roll? <laughs> Not to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got Bing Crosby, Lil Wayne. That's what Butch Jones that, said. Wow. <laughs> and Nickelback on yes! our message board. Love Nickelback. Nickelback is absolutely the worst band in the history of man. I, I, you know what? I, I, the more people hate Nickelback, the more I love them. I just feed off the hatred of Nickelback, and I just love them. Right, you're like the Miami Hurricanes of the 1980s, is what you are. There's a 30 Nickelback and Avril Lavigne. I would see them in concert tomorrow. Oh my gosh! Official visitors. June is a big recruiting month. We now know that. So uh, give me an idea of how big of a weekend this is, and I want to ask you about some guys one by one and run it down the list. Yeah, so, I mean, last weekend there were two official visitors, and this weekend you have 12, and the next weekend I think we're talking 20 or so. So it just keeps getting bigger as we go through June. But this weekend will be pretty massive for a lot of guys who are fresh off of Georgia or Alabama official visits to kind of see Tennessee and hope that Tennessee can compete with those bigger schools. Well, let's go, let's start out. I want to ask you about several guys that'll be in town and your thoughts on whether or not the Vols can land these guys. Williams, Winiri, uh, a big name, obviously, as you wrote on off the hook sports.com, 6'5", 250 pounds, defensive lineman, an interesting size there as he could grow into a defensive tackle, but sounds like an edge rusher to me. A lot of schools after him, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Missouri. What do you think of Winnery? 
He's a he's a curious case because his first visit to Tennessee was in January. And I don't think very many people thought anything of it. And then he just loved Tennessee and loved Rodney Gardner. And now Tennessee is catapulted to like one or two on his list. So this weekend will be his official visit. And if he can continue to build those relationships and if Rodney Gardner continues to recruit him heavily, I think we could see him at Tennessee. And obviously you see Josh Heupel's Missouri connection still showing here. And there's a couple of uh, – excuse me, of assistance with very good Missouri connections. So, I mean, he's the number two prospect in this class, and it really seems like a two-way battle right now between Tennessee and Oklahoma. And you saw some last weekend of Oklahoma trying to not, I guess, recruit against Tennessee. So Oklahoma sees Tennessee as the biggest competition right now. So I would hope or I would think that Tennessee is probably one or two, and this official visit will be very big to see if they can actually be one. Jaru, moving on, defensive lineman Kamarian Franklin is out of Lake Cormorant, Mississippi, which is in DeSoto County. For those who don't know, I grew up in Memphis. DeSoto County is right outside of Memphis. I, I have a lot of family who lives there. How – is Tennessee kind of building a pipeline into that tri, – trying to work on a pipeline into that West Tennessee tri-state region? You know, Memphis, Arkansas, Mississippi, right around there? I would assume so, just because of the fact that right now, I mean – you'd look at a guy like Franklin, like how big is the draw to Ole Miss or Mississippi State right now? Like, yes, Lane Kiffin is building and they have momentum at Ole Miss, but still compared to Tennessee, I mean, it's a pretty easy competition there. And then you look at, I mean, Arkansas has some recruiting power, but not much. And then, I mean, Missouri is kind of a joke. So <laughs> Dave loves that. Jeru <laughs> just got a raise. <laughs> so realistically, Franklin, it seems like Tennessee is um, a pretty high contender for him. He's also going to officially visit LSU and Auburn. So, I mean, even looking at those schools, you're still not seeing your Mississippi's, your Arkansas's, your Missouri's competing for him. So I feel like the higher prospects in the West Tennessee area, like you said, are priorities for Josh Heupel and his staff and specifically trying to keep Tennessee kids in Tennessee. And when you think about Memphis, it's super far away, but it's still – in-state recruiting. So I feel like that is a priority for them. Yeah. What the hell is a show-me state anyway? Offensive tackle Daniel Calhoun on the message board. Uh, we had someone ask if Caleb was related, which would give Tennessee a good tie, and I don't think he is. What do you Not think? my knowledge. Uh, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> We're all related, basically, right? Uh, Daniel Calhoun would be a big one. Six foot, six and a half, 330 pounds. Those are the type of big dogs, I'm telling you, that Tennessee needs to win some of those battles, and uh, he would be a good one. Where does Tennessee stand with him? Yeah, I'm not, I don't think they'll win this battle. It seems like Calhoun is starting to trend more towards Georgia, and he'll probably end up a Georgia guy. He's a Georgia prospect in-state, so it seems like Georgia is the favorite right now. But as we've seen in recruiting, anything can happen. So if his official visit weekend goes good, he's a big Glenn Ellerby guy. So if his official visit weekend goes good, then we could see Tennessee go back to his top schools. But he also has officials playing with Georgia, Texas, Alabama, and Auburn. So this is definitely a heavyweight battle. And I feel like right now, if you told me if you asked me where he was going, it'd probably be Georgia. By the way, the state bird for Missouri is the eastern bluebird. Will somebody tell them they're not in the east? They're not in the SEC East. They're not in the eastern United States. How can it be the eastern bluebird? I'm sorry, Caleb. Go ahead. I will say I was no divisions anymore. Well, that's yeah. true. 
But there are yeah, just in the southeast. But there are divisions with birds. I will say I respect the St. Louis Cardinals, and Nelly had a pretty epic run in the early 2000s in hip hop. Okay, he had a lock on the hip hop game for quite a for quite some time. It's getting hot <laughs> in here with recruiting, Caleb. Here we go. <laughs> and by the way, uh, guys, take a take a look at Daniel Calhoun. I, I I don't think it's possible that he and I are related. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. Just anyways. Uh. Okay. Uh. Moving on. Uh, can, uh, Josh Heupel does have Florida ties, so and they need some help in the secondary. So let's talk about quarterback Kai Bates. What do you think Tennessee's chances are for him? Yeah, he's a name that's kind of recently been trending towards Tennessee. He received an offer in March during his first visit and kind of locked in an official visit that same weekend. So he's out of Edgewater High School in Florida, like you said, and he's officially visited Alabama, and he's also going to official officially visit, excuse me, Florida State. So he's six foot one and a half, 180 pounds. He's a top 150 prospect. Uh, he also has an official visit to LSU next weekend. So there's a lot of schools in for him, and seeing Tennessee get an official visit after really just offering him a couple months ago is pretty big. I would see. I think Tennessee has some work to do, but they have the whole weekend to do it. So we'll see what happens. Braylon Staley, wide receiver, Aiken High School, South Carolina. Tennessee has had success in Aiken even before you were born, Jaru. Well, I don't know about how much success they're going to have right now. It seems like Clemson has sort of become the leader for uh, Staley right now in his recruitment. Uh, he was extended a scholarship offer from Tennessee in February, six foot one seventy five, four star wide receiver. Obviously, Josh Heifel's offense is easy to recruit, so we could see that change. But right now, I'd say he's probably a Clemson lean. All right, linebacker Edwin Spillman, number twenty four linebacker in the nation, six foot one, two hundred and sixteen pounds, number five prospect in Tennessee Lipscomb Academy. That's the area where Calhoun says all bad prospects come out of. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spillman is the younger brother of current freshman wideout Nate Spillman. So Tennessee has obviously been the favorite in his recruitment the whole way, but he's made it clear that he's going to go through his recruitment, not let his brother kind of influence his decision. So he's officially visited Florida State and Ohio State. Ohio State's kind of been big in his recruitment as well. And he's also has an official visit playing to Georgia. I would say Tennessee is still number one in his recruitment just because he's an in-state guy and his brother is at Tennessee. But he said it before that he's not going to let that influence his decision and not let what his brother's recruitment went through influence what he's going to do. So that'll be an interesting one to see. He's the number 253 prospect nationally. So big guy, linebacker. I mean, depth on the defensive side is always big. So I'm curious to see what happens with him. Yeah, pretty much everybody that says that ends up going to the school that they say they're not going to go to. Uh, often this is our second visit within like three weeks. So – because yeah. he visited three weeks ago. Well, I appreciate him. Yeah, I appreciate him saying he's going to look around. He should, but he'll go to Tennessee. Offensive tackle Marquise Easley, six foot seven, three hundred pound, four star lineman out of Illinois. This is an interesting one because obviously you see the you see the northern any prospect out of Illinois is an interesting one. I was just about to say. I mean, as a northern offensive lineman, dude, six foot seven. So, number 261 prospect nationally. He's a guy like we just talked about that would be a big pickup for Tennessee. And I would say Tennessee has a really good chance of uh, getting him right now. The, like I said earlier, though, Georgia is hot on his trail, too. He's going to um, officially visit Alabama. He's announcing July 8th. So, 
He's taking his official visits in, deciding on his college and making a decision in July. So we'll see what happens. But Georgia hosted him already as well, and they're trending for him too. I assume Tennessee will probably try to recruit against Georgia with both of these offensive tackles and try to get at least one. Because like you said, I mean, you can teach a guy how to block, but you can't teach him to be six foot seven, 300 pounds. Hey, there are cats that are overlooked in Atlanta all the time. I want to ask you about Mr. Burns. Jordan Burns, four-star prospect. He's going to Vanderbilt in Arkansas. Maybe not giving, getting the love from Georgia, but I watched tape on him the other day, and I think he's really good. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a guy that's probably getting overlooked right in Atlanta. He's officially visited Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and he's officially visiting Tennessee. Arkansas and Tennessee seem to be one and two for him right now, but like you said, his tape is really good, and he's got a lot of skills that would transfer instantly to the college game. I mean, six foot one and a half, two hundred fifteen pound linebacker. I think at this point, I guess our, um, Georgia can compete for the number one and two, like the Sammy Browns of the class, and just overlook guys right in their backyard that can probably play just as good. So then you have the commitments: uh, quarterback Jake Merklinger. You have athlete Jonathan Eccles, cornerback Caleb Beasley, offensive tackle Jesse Perry. I love how they bring guys in here that can hopefully win over other prospects. I think that's a very smart way of doing things that used to be done. What was it done by the previous three coaching staffs? Merklinger, though, just his name comes up over and over. I know he's a quarterback, but how active do you think he is in, in recruiting? And of course, everybody wants him to be – as active as uh, some guy named Nico. But that could be a challenge. What do you think of Merklinger as a recruiter? I think he is pretty active. And like you said, he's at Tennessee just about every weekend. So he's making connections with prospects. And I know he goes to camps and he was invited to their big, to that big NIL event that on three put on in Nashville that also hosted every top prospect in the nation. So he's making relationships, building friendships, and trying to peer recruit these guys. But really this weekend, like we've talked about already, I think the biggest one might be Jesse Perry, three-star offensive tackle. Because you have those other offensive tackles on campus that Tennessee really wants to get, those six-foot-seven, six-foot-six guys like we talked about earlier with Easley. I think Perry and Ellerby, if Perry just peer recruits like you saw Nico do last year to some of those offensive tackles, or even Merklinger talks about wanting to throw behind some of those offensive tackles, some of those big guys. I mean, that could go a long way in this recruitment because prospects expect coaches to tell them, you know, what they want to hear, that you're going to play a lot, you're going to have good facilities, all that stuff. But when you hear it from somebody else your age or even a current player, it's kind of a different experience. So I'm glad they do the peer recruiting because I do think it helps. And especially with Merklinger, who's in Knoxville just about every weekend, I think he's building a lot of relationships. Well, you had news on Boo – Oh, did I scare you, Carter? And uh, I want to get to that, but I know Caleb uh, has another recruiting question. Coverage of recruiting today brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook. Get 20% off any of their treats, including the chill pills with the CBD derivative that will help with your pet's digestive issues, arthritis, or anxiety. Crafttreats.com. Crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the the hook so before we get to boo calhoun you were going to say yes uh i got a broad question first before i get there i do want to point out that javante spragans is from illinois also so tennessee already has a guy starting from there um that's a good point i, I wanted to uh jaru i'm sure you saw how jj harrell committed to mississippi state i believe after decommitting from tennessee and when we had you on to talk recruiting a couple of weeks ago i started to ask is it a concern that there hasn't been much recruiting movement in June. 
And it was early, so we said let's give him some time. I still say, and Dave does too, that this is the most important recruiting month of Josh Heupel's tenure. Well, we're now halfway through June and still no significant pickups. Is it time to start raising a red flag? I don't think so. I mean, obviously, Boo Carter is going on Saturday. But uh, a lot of these guys are taking – are guys who are taking all of their official visits before they announce <laughs> their commitments. And we also saw, compared to, like, your Alabamas and your Georgias, Tennessee's last two weekends of June are where they have their biggest prospects, with next weekend being their biggest official weekend visit that they've marketed to the <laughs> prospects all season. Compared to Alabama in June – or Alabama and Georgia, excuse me, which use the first two weekends of June to host the majority of prospects. So I think it's not that big of a deal just yet. If we get through July and we have, you know, four or five guys who took officials to Tennessee not committing to Tennessee, we might want to raise the red flag. But I think right now it's more of just playing the game and trying to get in with these guys who announced their commitments in July or in early August. All right, so Boo, you had news on Boo, and he's going on Saturday. What do you got from Boo? Yeah, so he officially visited Michigan last weekend, and then he was on campus for an unofficial with Tennessee this Wednesday and Thursday of this week. So he was taking a last look at Tennessee before heading up to the 4040 Club in New York to announce his decision. I would say right now it is Michigan and Tennessee. The only thing that worries me is Michigan is recruiting him as a wide receiver versus Tennessee as a defensive back. So I guess it'll really come down to if he wants to catch passes versus break them up. And then Michigan has um, gotten a lot of momentum and steam for Boo Carter in this last month or so. I still would say Tennessee is the favorite, but Michigan is kind of a little more worrisome right now. Wait a second. He's announcing at the 40-40 club? Are we not sending sending somebody like me to the (laughs) 40-40 club to cover this? They got the Go they got the Jay Z lounge in there. Oh man, I'm all about that. It is funny that that club's named after steroid induced performance in sports. I had to Google what the forty forty club, is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's named after forty home runs and forty steals, which was done by Jose Canseco when he was on the Juice. So, do you and get steroids when you walk in the front door? I mean, if you can, I don't know. If it helps me hit 40 home runs in Major League Baseball, then I'm going to the 40-40 club, I guess. There Not to go. mention Jose Canseco had quite a few celebrities on his arms back in the day. Quite a few very pretty celebrity women. He was he was no Jeter. Is that where is that where Alex Rodriguez went? Uh, to get his steroids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly where he went. Right, right down the road, right? Yeah, thank you, Caleb Jaru. Safe travels to Omaha. By the way, I will just tell you, Council Bluffs, Iowa, very nice casino, great buffet, very winnable tables. One of two casinos in the nation. I walked away a winner. That in St. Louis. So why don't you like St. Louis? I won in St. Louis. No, he's asking why you don't like St. Louis. Why don't you like it? I like St. Louis. I just don't like Missouri. And just go in there. St. Louis is in Missouri. Well, I know, but it's almost like it's it's different. The rest, I don't know. The whole state's lame. But St. Louis is <laughs> you St. Will, You must really hate Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> That's right. I can't stand him. All right. Great job, Jory. Safe travels. Yes, sir. I'll talk to you all later. Thank you, buddy. Have a good one. You're making me feel old. Hey, Fred White, how are you, sir? 
I'm doing good, Dave. How are you? I'm never better. Can I work in a two-minute break, and I'll be right back with you because I got some good questions to ask you about the Vols. No problem. I'm waiting. Sweet. Hang tight. Two minutes. Fred White, former Vol. That's always exciting. This is Off the Hook Sports. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Love this guy, Fred White. Joining us now, VFL, former Tennessee safety. And uh, Fred is a part of the big part of the celebrate 98 series i mean heck he is a series and it's gone incredibly well and i learned so much about jeff hall that's up on our youtube page so be sure and subscribe hit that like button right now and get the notifications on because we'll have more coming down the pike uh fred um so boo carter is announcing at the 4040 club in new york city i don't know if he's going to be in the jay-z lounge but there is a jay-z lounge (laughs) You've rolled with me. I've been there. <laughs> oh, kudos. All right. Tell me about the Jay-Z Lounge. It is. It has a pool table in it. I'm looking There's at a pictures. couple of pool tables in it. It's nice. It's nice and plush. They bring out the nice bottles of champagne where you don't see the sparklies and all that type of stuff. You know, you don't want any. That, that, that's the executive suite. Nice. 
All right. That's that's pretty cool. Do you think I could roll into the Jay-Z suite and, you know, fit in? Usually uh, security takes you up to the Jay-Z suite in a whole nother, you know, elevator or back steps. Um, they, we don't want them to be taking you out of the place, okay? So <laughs> security guards are good for two things, get you in the VIP and get you out of the club. <laughs> All right, so there are a couple of things I, I, I want to get to. Um, and, and kind of a big picture recruiting question right off the top, because I was, I was thinking of you and the influence that Georgia prospects had in Tennessee in the 90s and into the 2000s. And for those that don't know, Fred is very close to not only former players that he played with, but former players at Tennessee. And he's also very tight there in the Atlanta community. And I'm just curious, there's some other things I want to get to, but how different is Tennessee viewed right now by Atlanta area prospects than maybe it was just a couple of years ago? Is there a significant difference? Complete difference. Um, if you see the show that we put on every week, um, the home games, the, the points we put up, the crowd noise, the um, checkerboard Neyland Stadium and those type of things, and you watch the fireworks after touchdowns or the fireworks to get the start, you know, game started and all the excitement that's going on in the stadium, I think those things have helped put Tennessee back on the map when it comes to saying, okay, if I'm a top recruit, I don't want to miss going there. Let me at least go check it out because it looks so good on TV. And if you come actually see it in person, it makes a big difference. But not only that, it's what we did on the football field the last couple of years. And I think last year saw made people realize one thing. Okay, they're back. They're at least back on top with a new coach. They got something that's innovative. They got something that's, that's could be, you know, sports changing for the University of Tennessee. They can start winning championships again. They're actually in the conversation. So I think that's going to be big for us. Not to mention, you got other two, two other teams coming into the SEC uh, next season, Oklahoma and Texas. So you get a chance to play on an even bigger stage, even bigger than what it is right now, by adding two marquee teams like that. So I think Tennessee is right where they need to be when it comes to um, being highlighted by recruits. I think everyone kind of circles that moment that Tennessee sends them a letter now. Fred, as as a defensive player coming out of high school, would you have looked at Josh Heupel's offense and the fact that you're going to have to play 80 plays on the flip side because he's running 80 plays on the offensive side? Would you have looked at that as a negative at all? Dave, I'm one of those guys that you might not ever want to ask that question to. I want to play with competition. I want to go out there and get it in. If I got 80 plays, that means I got 80 plays to get a tackle, get a knockout hit, cause a fumble, or get an interception. My, my whole thought process has always been, well, as a team with us in 1998 and the guys I played in the 90s, our rule was if they can't score, they can't win. So I don't care how many plays you're playing. Go out here and compete. If I can shut you down for 80 plays as a receiver and I'm playing DB, man, I'm going to talk class about it the whole time. And it also looks good on film. Let me turn this over to uh, Caleb Calhoun, who is a big fan of the R. Kelly Lounge. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm about jail because that's where he's at. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, hey man, I, I don't want to go anywhere with all guys. I'm sorry. No, I, you, can no, to, you can go to R. Kelly's lounge as much as you want to. I don't like I don't like orange jumpsuits. I like orange jerseys. 
right. Oh. Sorry for that intro, Caleb. Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> Fred, I was going to ask. Um, it's funny because you're seeing Josh Heibel's offense. You are a unique – you're of a unique time of the SEC in that you got to face Steve Spurrier and Mike Leach, both offenses. So curious, having observed Josh Heupel's offense and having faced Steve Spurrier's offense and Mike Leach's offense. Now, I know Florida was tougher than Kentucky because Florida just was actually <laughs> – I know that. But, oh, so throw talent to the wayside, okay? Throw talent to the wayside. Assume that they're – assume that the talent was all even between the three, which one do you think would be the most difficult to defend against? Josh Heifels. Really? Mm-hmm. Josh, just, I, well, here's the thing. I, Steve Spurrier's I understand more now than what I did before. Uh, the one thing I do understand about Steve Spurrier's offense, it was about getting the ball to a spot as opposed to being exactly on time with the ball and those type of things. I think also they knew what we were running. We ran quarters. He ran quarters beaters. Those are things that you do as a coach, you know, to show that, okay, if this guy, if this team is a quarters team, what offense can we run against them that makes them look average, really? Um, if you're a team that runs cover three and uh, cover one, you can run route beaters. And this is Steve Spurrier Steve did those things. When it comes to Mike Leach, he just had a game plan and said, okay, we're, we're going to do this, this, and this, get the ball out in the hands of our guys real quick and real fast run a fast-paced offense, they're running shorter routes, trying to get the ball out of the hand and timing routes, those type of things. You put your hands on the receivers, it throws off the timing of the routes, um, which makes – if their quarterback is going to hold the ball and not go to his first or second read, it makes their offense not work very well. So, with Josh Heupel, it's a different thing because you got RPOs. You can run the ball now out of the same set that you would pass that ball out of. Um, same formations, those type of things. And then you, you look at – they bait you into jumping routes. They bait you into jumping routes, then they also <laughs> – they'll, they'll make it to where you make a mistake. Whenever you make that one mistake, boom. He takes what he get, what you give him, and if you give him a big play, he's going to take the big play and they're going to hit it. And they're going to go fast. I don't think – I think Johnson would be – the harder one to go against because you run the ball a lot out of that set as well. It's pretty interesting. I I, I thought you might have it second to Spurrier, but no, that's no. That. Spurrier had Spurrier had elite talent. Guys like Fred Taylor, um, uh, Jaquez Green, and those type oh, of guys. Right. Travis Taylor. You you talk about guys who can go out and get the rock. And you also had a guy who won the Heisman Trophy. Um, I can't think of his name, but Danny Wolfel. Um, so you, you're looking at guys who were very talented and they had a coach who understood the game. So, yeah, I, I, I look at it as a um, – I like what they did, but I think some of the things we did defensively in 98 and 99 changed up how I looked at his offense. I didn't think of it as being as dominant, dominant then. Um, but if you look at the, t- the talent he had on that squad, those things were what made the team different. Well, not to get too terribly sidetracked because there's something I want to get to about incoming players, but was there a moment or when did you feel like you kind of figured out Spurrier's offense? I'm not going to say we figured it out, but we understood the concept. They run a lot of corners and and, um, slats and um, double curls at different levels. Um, He was trying to get his guys in space where space was in zone defenses. 
Um, he would run the same route on the same side. Say, for instance, you had a slot guy and a receiver on the outside. That means you have two receivers on one side, and then you have a tight end also on that side. And these two guys are off the ball. They'll all run curls at a different level, which means you couldn't cover it because you didn't have anybody underneath the other routes. Meaning your linebacker may have to drop underneath the curl from the tight end, and then your safety may have to drop underneath the curl from the slot guy. It leaves your leaves your cornerback wide open in a with a one-on-one situation on the comeback route. If he misses that route, it's touchdown. So Steve knew how to get things on different levels. And I'm not going to say we figured it out, but we understood the concept. I got a patent question that popped up on the message board. Portions of the program brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning. Cityheatandair.com might not need a new unit if your AC goes out and it's hot weather. Might just need a part or some coolant and are good to go. Cityheatandair.com. 50 years in Tennessee. Integrity matters. Some others don't have that. So let's just say, for instance, that Tennessee plays Texas one day which is Mm -hmm. going to happen. And let's just say, for instance, that a guy named Arch Manning is the starting starting quarterback at Texas. Who's Peyton Manning rooting for? Arch Manning. I thought so, too. Why is that? That's his nephew. Why wouldn't he root for his nephew? (laughs) He may not be rooting for the University of Texas, but he'll he'll be rooting for Arch. I guarantee it. It's true because Archie rooted for you guys when y'all played Ole Miss. I remember, yeah, ninety six and ninety seven. Mm-hmm. That time y'all played in Memphis. That's that was a very. Why, why, why wouldn't he root for him? Well, now I'm I'm with you there, but I'm curious. So, do you root for him, um, to have a great game, or you do root for Texas to win, or ideally would he go like? I I, I don't know exactly how Peyton would do that, but I would root for – if my nephew's playing the quarterback for the other team, I'm rooting for my nephew. I'm sorry. But I'm going to be rooting for my team also. I'm not going to – I may not root for his team, but I'm going to root for my nephew to do well. It's my nephew. I mean, that's your blood. I'm with you. That's a pretty darn good answer. Four Downs now brought to you by our friends at Zen Sports. Four Downs is now. Four Downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, Fred. So I wanted to ask you about players as they transition into college football because you and I have talked about it. Uh, you really shouldn't depend on freshmen at all. It is such an incredible transition. It's darn near impossible. But I wanted to break that down a little further. So let's do that. What down is it, Cooper Mays? Cooper, first down. All right. So first down, easiest <laughs> position to transition from high school to college is? Uh, Assuming the talent is is there. Running back. What what position? Running back. Okay, that's what I would think. Now, what's second? Um, probably defensive line. Okay, I was going to go corner because if you're naturally like you, of course, if you're naturally that athletically gifted, mm-hmm. then I would think that you would be able to stick with guys, but. Yeah, but that's not the only thing you do as a defensive back. You got to also learn how to play within the zone. 
that would also learn how to play within, you know, with the talent level that you have as well. I mean, you, you can line up across from a guy that's a Peter Ward as a freshman. And that's not going to be a good, <laughs> that's not going to be good for you if you've never seen anything like that. Um, yeah. Also understanding, just understanding defense, understanding what's going on. If you're going out and asking a guy to discover somebody man on man, I get, you, get what you're saying, but the game is more than just man to man coverage. You got to understand the concept of routes and route reading and um, offensive alignment when they move and how to understand if it's run or pass and that type of stuff. In high school, you don't really get to learn things like that. Not a lot of coaches understand that themselves in high school. So when you get to college, you, it's a different learning curve when it comes to playing defense. People used to always say, oh, those guys are on defense because they're not smart. No, you got to learn how to understand the game at a different level when you get to the next level. And every level is different. The NFL was different than college. He need to learn and know a little bit more. But um, I think running back is because you just give that guy the ball and he has to run. I mean, that's it. All he needs to know is who to block and what hole to hit. Uh, on the defensive line, all you got to do is figure out how to manhandle one guy and stay in the right gap. That's it. All right, before we get to the hardest position to make the transition but from is high it school. not kicker or punter? Oh, it's not <laughs> kicker or punter. Those don't even count. <laughs> Except even for close. Jeff Hall. Except for Jeff Hall. Um, the, uh, but second down, the hardest position, uh, four downs brought to you by our friends at Sin Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards with Zen Sports. Your rewards are cash rewards. You bet with real money and now you are rewarded with it too. earn a whopping 5% cash back as a welcome bonus for your first 15 days. When you sign up with the code hooked. That's hooked. Keep betting and keep earning every month after that with up to 3% cash back rewards on your betting volume. Best of all, earn cash commission on your referral bets with Zen Sports Referral Rewards Program. The cash is back with Zen Sports doing it right. Download the app today. Use the promo code hooked. So what down is it, Cooper Mays? Cooper Mays here. Second down. The hardest position (laughs) to make that transition, Fred White, is... I would say the two hardest positions to, to make the transition, one is going to be quarterback, for one. You got to understand everything the defense is doing, understand your blocking scheme, and also most of the time your quarterback is who sets the, the, your uh, protection. So sometimes if an offensive lineman misses a block, a lot of times that call came from, came from the quarterback because this is what he saw um, to be able to point out those guys. So, I mean, I, I look at it from the standpoint of offense quarterback on the defensive side of the ball, Safety, because you're the, you're the quarterback of the defense. You got to understand what your what your D line is doing, your linebackers are doing, um, what formation they come out in, get everybody, get the checks right. Um, you're doing the same thing on defense as a quarterback is doing. So I think those are the two hardest positions to um, transition to. All right, so we're gonna have Caleb's gonna take over for third down, and Cooper Mays reminds us of the down. Tennessee center Cooper Mays here, third down. Thank you, Cooper. Yeah, so Fred, we obviously know about the Jamal Lewis making the very, very seamless transition to college and being having All-American talent as a freshman. Among guys you played with, or maybe even guys you didn't, who's a freshman that you would say had the fastest transition to college football from high school? The only person I ever saw was Jamal Lewis. So there's no second? There's no yeah, second. There's no second. 
No. Easy. Coop, what down are we on now? SEC <laughs> center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. All right. So we move on uh, to fourth down. Um, who did you not believe in back in your playing days? You saw him as a freshman, and you're like, that guy's not going to be a player. That changed your mind the mo- in the most dramatic fashion. Uh, throughout his career was is there any one guy that you looked at and you're like i don't think he can play and it turns out he was really really good uh no i, I don't know of one I, I, most of the guys who came could play and you know most of the guys that came when i was in school they were all the top player in their state or one of the top players in their country or whatever so most of the guys who came on campus i felt like they could play i mean they all showed us something in practice. I don't know of one guy that came in and was like, I don't know if he's going to make it. Because usually somebody, the guys will show you a flash real early. You know, somebody, they, they'll either be their guy or you can see him in the weight room or just watch their work ethic. You'll find out real quick if a guy has it. If a guy doesn't have it, you'll know very quick. And usually those guys didn't last long and they just left. Okay. Can you tell one little story? Uh, but that came up in the Celebrate 98 thing. So there's a guy named Brian Darden. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember Jimmy Hobbs uh, saying at the time that he was going to be Tennessee's next great tailback. And I, I I don't think there was much question in his talent, but he kind of came in with a mouth a little bit that ostracized him from his, his teammates. What do you recall about Brian Darden showing up on campus? And don't smile. Don't, Look at I, you. I'm- well, because Brian Darden, a good friend of mine, you know, I know. I, we, that, that's my dude. You know, he, I know. He, he he was he would tell you the same thing I'm about to tell you now. You probably should have kept his mouth shut when he got on campus. <laughs> tell you that in a heartbeat. But Brian Darden, with with all due respect, though, Brian Darden was the number two running back in the country behind uh, the guy that went to uh, Kevin Falk that went to um, LSU. So yeah. they were the top two running backs in the country, and everyone in the country wanted Brian Darden. So when he came to Tennessee. We felt like he was going to be a home run hitter. He was in my class. He ended up going to a Fork Union. Um, I think that's a prep school for one well, year. Then he came in. Academy, yeah. And when he came in, he came in with a lot of hype now. I mean, it, if you watch his highlight films and you see the things he's done and, and as a football player, I'm like, okay, he got it. He walks in and he looks the part. He works out hard. He's fast, those type of things. And one thing, though, you don't come into the University of Tennessee. Our locker room was different. This is where you have leadership. You don't walk in and tell people you're going to be the starter. You're going to take somebody's position. Hey, man, go out there and get the job done and just do the work. We had a rule where if you were a freshman, you didn't have any say. You basically just listen and understand what's going on, and you figure it out. You don't talk much as a freshman. Jamal Lewis didn't talk much as a freshman. I mean – and he had every right to have to go off for 200 or something yards in the first game he played. So I look at it like Brian Darden came in with the wrong attitude. And whenever Brian Darden was in the, in the lineup, you already knew that everybody was gunning for the run. We weren't going to let him get a yard. In practice. Yeah. In practice. Coach Yost so, over here. <laughs> we didn't care if they were throwing the ball at all. We just knew that if Brian Darden was in the backfield, he, we're not going to let him get a yard. Because we're not going to let him talk. And, you know, that was the thing. If he got a, if he would have got past the line of scrimmage and made a 10-yard run, he'd have 
everybody in the country would have heard about it. So <laughs> Jamal Lewis is the one player that I can well, I'm not say the only one, but may but up there number one that you saw one that I saw one play out of. I and mean, this is where I covered you guys. I mean, I wasn't at practice and all that stuff, but he's the one player that I saw one run from and I said that guy's special. I can't remember when the run was, but early that season I was like Whoa. And the term I, I immediately used was bull in a China shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that dude was knocking down China fast. Well, and that, that's the other, you asked that first question, you talk, you know, a guy that you didn't think was going to be good. Everyone had one of those moments. Everybody did. Had that moment of like, oh, like, dang, okay, he's, he's pretty good. Every, even Brian Darden had those moments. He caught the ball out of the backfield a few times and shook somebody and got down the sideline and you'd be like, okay, he got it. You know what I mean? But it wasn't many that I saw that just didn't have it because you, that means you weren't really going to be able, I mean, I doubt that you would have signed with us if that was the case. We were signing top five, top two and three classes at that time when we were in school. So we weren't bringing in guys who were duds. No, you were not. Great stuff, Fred. We look forward to continuing the uh, Celebrate 98 series. It's brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company. You can go to tncidercompany.com, use the promo code HAT, and get some free swag, get a hat with any order. You can order Tennessee Cider uh, from the Tennessee Cider Company. uh, And I think 46 states in the nation, probably Missouri not on board. We were ripping Missouri earlier, Fred. But <laughs> I don't know why Missouri drew drew my ire today, but they did. Uh, but it they is need to. That's right. <laughs> it is fantastic. So check it out, tinsidercompany.com. Use the promo code HAT. Fred, have a uh, blessed weekend. Are you in the ATL this weekend? I'm in the ATL this weekend. I actually have my office open this weekend from 10 oh. to 2. First Saturday we've been open since we've been open. So, guys, okay, come not, give us an honor. Yeah, tell us about uh, how we can be in good hands. You can be in good hands by giving us a call right here. <laughs> Dave, I like how you teed that up. Yeah. You can be in good hands right here with us. Just give us a call at 770-381-0367. Myself or my wonderful staff will be ready to help you to answer any questions that we can for you. Um, just give us a call. or Also, look us up on any social media network. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, this Fred White Allstate. Um, you can also just Google us. If you don't want to talk to us, you can get a quote by yourself right on our website. Yeah, you don't <laughs> want to talk to Fred. Like, get that Darden story, that Brian Darden story. Fred, have a blessed weekend. We appreciate you, buddy. Oh, you have a good one, Dave. Yeah, this Go balls, is baby. a good one, Fred. Thanks, man. Fred White of Football Friday with Fred. Two minutes and the best voice of all of sports. It is John Wilkerson. He's John is. I saw that look, John. I, I saw John rolled his eyes when I said that. I saw that. I, I, do you know me to give out compliments or criticism unless it's duly warranted? Have you ever known me to be disingenuous, even at my own um, my own trouble? I think Caleb would agree with me when I say yes. <laughs> I mean, you always know where you stand with me. John Wilkerson is the best voice of college baseball and beyond. Can we take a two-minute break? You know how this biz works, John. Absolutely. Two minutes, John Wilkerson. Stay tuned. And Craving Wings South North Shore location where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in East Tennessee. 
¿Pero quién es este? El número 87, Jacob Warren. I'll just do six in my sauce, 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craven Wings and get you seis más. But what was funny about Cadiz, we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox, we had inpatient, we had outpatient. So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program, but it's, we're complicated people. I am what I am, and now I gotta do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadiz today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. John Wilkerson joining us now. You can hear him from 6 to 9 on the Sports Animal as he is also the voice of the Diamond Balls. And, John, where are you right now? Are you already in Omaha? Yes. Uh, arrived on Wednesday. The team was home for 26 hours. It landed at 2 o'clock on Tuesday after winning the Super Regional at Southern Miss and then left at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. And, I mean, they hit the ground, got here that evening. Then they uh, they had a practice yesterday as part of the open practice where the public could attend. Each team got one hour on the field at Charles Schwab. And then they had their media availability, a couple of balls, and Tony Vitello got to uh, take some questions. Today they'll practice for about two hours while the first game is going on between TCU and Oral Roberts. But it's uh, it's been one thing after another, and they play tomorrow night. It's fast. Uh, John Wilkerson, would you like to know why Omaha always makes me think of Mike Stoll? Why is okay. that? Because Mike Stoll and I, when, when I was the voice of the Tennessee Thundercats, which I didn't give myself that name, I just did the play-by-play. Somebody else did. But did the Tennessee Thundercats, we were in uh, Omaha, the beef for playing the Thundercats, the beef. And uh, the beef. I taught Mike Stoll how to play blackjack. I lost immediately, and so I went back to the room. He sits down at the $25 minimum table instead of the $5 minimum table, 
and was embarrassed to get up and leave, walked away with $2,500 in about 30 minutes <laughs> and said, I'm done. That's Mike Stoll. I can see why that would stand out. <laughs> and I'm down 200 which was a heck of a lot of money at that time. Still is today. Yes. <laughs> All right, John, so what are some keys for this uh, Tennessee baseball team as they take on arguably the best pitcher in the nation and one of the best teams, no doubt? Well, I, I think they just stick with what they've been doing uh, because that's what's worked. Both teams are really different from when they met back in week three of the SEC schedule. Tennessee had the lead. They actually scored first against LSU and Skeens, uh, but LSU was stronger in the middle innings. They came back each time. And while you certainly have a, a national player of the year, certainly SEC player of the year in Dylan Cruz in center field, it was actually second baseman Gavin Dugas who was the big difference maker because he had a home run and a double in each of the first two games. And as soon as Tennessee got the lead, he gave LSU the upper hand back. So I do think that there is a measure of confidence just – is just do what you can. I mean, hang in there. If you can get past Skeens and into the bullpen, Tennessee, I think, has an, as good a chance as anybody to get a win in this opening game. Andrew Lindsay didn't have his best outing against Southern Miss in the Super Regional, but I do think it's going to be better suited in terms of the activity here. Uh, I mean, it was a very different atmosphere at Southern Miss, and it was kind of stop and start as uh, it was kind of – it really was just – Unfortunately, not his best outing, but I think he's got the perfect mindset to lead the way. So when they do get it going tomorrow, I think he'll be just fine because he has been so strong for Tennessee in opening one weekend to the next. John, I want to talk a little legacy real quick because this is Tony Vitello's second College World Series in three years. He won the SEC regular season and tournament championship last year, the year they didn't make it. Given Tennessee baseball's, I guess – not great history. I mean, is Tony Vitello already the greatest coach in Tennessee baseball history? I would hit the pause button on that. I would say for sure he's the second, and he certainly has the potential to be. Um, he's doing things that no coach has done before, but Rod Delmonico won 699 games in 18 years. He took Tennessee to the College World Series three times, and he also swept the regular season in tournament championships in the same year that he did in 94, actually won it back-to-back years in 94 and 95. So I think Tony would point to Rod Delmonico first, but here are some things that Tennessee's done that they never did with Rod, and that is, one, they've made it to the second College World Series in three years, as you just mentioned, Caleb, and so this is the fastest turnaround. If uh, Camden Sewell gets into the game, he'll be the very first ball to pitch it or appear in two different College World Series, which I think is just a really re nice reflection of where the program is. You've won three straight regionals. You've made it to the Super Regionals three straight years. So there is sustained success here that unfortunately uh, evaded Rod Delmonico. Uh, he had a five-year run where they made it to the regionals each year. But in terms of – he, we have only seen peaks now in terms – of Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello. So I would still point to Rod Monaco as number one, but Tony Vitello certainly has an outstanding resume to be a 1A. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't Delmonico show how how unpredictable the sport can be because they had that 2005 team, right, that made the College World Series that was so young 
And then they just struggled right after that with everybody back in 2006 and 2007. And is, is it me or is college baseball the most unpredictable of the major sports? Well, it certainly is. And, and all you have to do is look at this team that's in Omaha now for the volunteers. You wouldn't have thought at five and 10 after five SEC series that this is where they would finish their season. It's a testament to them, as well as just looking at uh, just putting down the building blocks as to what had to happen for Tennessee to get better. And when Rod, when, <laughs> when Tony Vitello put his best defensive lineup together, that's when everything started to click. It took pressure off of his pitchers so they could relax and just kind of realize that all they have to do is work and get the next out. They don't have to be perfect. It's not all on their shoulders. And then as that defense settled in, they got better in the box. So their offense started to click. And then you had to win on the road. This is the fifth straight week that Tennessee's been away from Knoxville, but they won at South Carolina. They did have the short stay at the SEC tournament, but they went back to South Carolina, won the Clemson Regional, and then went to Hattiesburg and took the, uh, the the Super Regional there against Southern Miss. So Omaha is the fifth straight week for Tennessee to be on the road. And it's the first Tennessee team that ever made it to the College World Series without a single win in the postseason in Knoxville, which is also really significant in terms of the accomplishment. John, I know it's a smaller sample size, and you mentioned Delmonico 18 years, but it, it felt like Rod Delmonico would field a great team every four or five years and then maybe struggle a little bit and then filled a great team. And it was just kind of up and down again. Vitello is smaller sample size, but it seems more consistently knocking at the door. Is that a fair statement? Yes, uh, I, I think so, because you you can't help but think that in 2020, they were going to do something special. I mean, where they were leading the nation in offense at the time that everything shut down. I mean, they didn't play one SEC game, so it's fair to wonder exactly how it would have stood up. But, boy, they, they swept the tournament at Round Rock as you beat Stanford, who's in this year's College World Series. You also beat top-ranked Texas Tech, and you beat a pretty good Houston team in between. So would have loved to have seen with Garrett Crochet, who went straight from Tennessee to the Chicago White Sox. Would have been neat to see what that team might have accomplished. But you, you came close to making the SEC tournament year one with a team that had won seven conference games the year before you make it to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 14 years in year two, and you haven't missed it since. So I do think that what Tony Vitello, and I think a big part of it is Frank Anderson's been here every step of the way as pitching coach. Josh Elander has been the engineer of the offense and recruiting coordinator the entire time that coach Vitello has been in Knoxville. And so you've had just incredible stability on the staff. And, and even though there were some hiccups this year with the team struggling and stumbling out of the gate, you just have to give this staff as well as the players themselves credit for working through it because they've earned the opportunity to fix things. And while they started out as a preseason number two, I don't think they were ready for that kind of ranking because they replaced all eight defensive starters. And I mean, that's beyond significant in terms of just, first of all, a new crew coming together, but they've done that. And as we talked about earlier, I think Tennessee's certainly playing its best baseball right now. And that's when you want to be for sure. No doubt. John, obviously Tony Vitello and his crew, they want to win it all, but what should be considered a success by Tennessee's fan base uh, out of this trip to Omaha? Well, I, you certainly want to win at least one game. You didn't do that in 2021. You got shut out by Virginia, and then you lost to Texas as the Longhorns pulled away in the second half of that ball game. So I do think this time you're going to feel pretty sorry about it if, if you don't get a win. 
But I'll also point to the fact that this was a team that at the halfway point of the SEC season, you wouldn't have thought they would have a chance to make it. The I mean, some people were saying they were going to miss the NCAA tournament, let alone uh, get the chance to go win a Super Regional in Hattiesburg and make it back to the College World Series. So I think with the way they have fought through what they faced, this has been a successful season. But in terms of making it back to the College World Series with such a short turnaround, I do think that Tennessee needs to mark just to show that progress as a program as a whole. Now you be- you beat me to the punch. That was going to be my follow up. Is to me, it's already a success. Um, great, great stuff, John. Um, have a fantastic call, and uh, you're you're a treasure, man, to Tennessee's fan base. So. I uh, love you, man. Take care. Be safe. Dave, always appreciate it. Caleb, hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. And thank Thanks, you. John Wilkerson. Really John. And he will have the call, and he's as uh, good as they come. We've got some uh, breaking news that we want to get to right now. Involves a Tennessee football player that has been charged with a very significant uh, crime brought to you by Bastion and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive. You can come from Nashville, Knoxville, or Chattanooga to Cleveland to get those industrial and commercial mowers with their buying power. Bassey Lawn and Garden will save you money. <clears throat> Excuse me, go to Bassey.com. Bassey Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive. So here we go. We've got some news that is not great for Tennessee. Jayla McCullough indicted on aggravated assault charge. What does this mean? for Jalen and the Vols, do you think, Caleb Calhoun? It's not good. This is based on the incident, for those who don't know, that happened eight months ago in the where a both parties, by the way, acknowledge a drunk guy walked into Jalen McCullough's dorm room. And we don't know what happened after that. We just know that there was a punch. There was some sort of physical altercation in which the person got hurt. Now... As far as we were aware, the person was claiming he drunkenly walked in, but then he left and that McCullough followed him out and punched him in the stairs. McCullough and his team and his roommate, Warren Burrell, were both claiming, no, after they told him he went to the wrong apartment, he got visibly aggressive and pushed back, and then that's when they fought him. So it's kind of a he said, she said, we didn't sit on this grand jury, so we don't have all the facts. We don't have the facts they have. The bar for an indictment is obviously a lot lower than the bar for a conviction. But they did vote to indict him based on the details of the case, which would suggest, I don't know if you keep him suspended until this clears itself. Cases can take a long time. But yes, it's not a great situation for Tennessee when McCullough is their most experienced safety. Well, it's one of those situations, and I hate drawing parallels in legal cases because everything's different. This is way different, but it's one of those situations that, that I wonder if it could sideline him. You know, we saw AJ Johnson get, get sidelined for four years. Yeah. What apparently has been a a completely baseless charge, but with Jalen McCullough, um, I don't, I'm not saying four years at all, but you do wonder if this drags on into the fall. Um, you know, the, we all know that the legal system moves incredibly slow. Um, is he having hearings and um, those sorts of things into the fall? That can't be a good thing for anybody. I don't, I don't care if he's 100% innocent right now. This just taking the next step is a significant piece of news as it pertains to Jalen McCullough and his ability to perform 
at his utmost for the balls. Yeah, this is this is a big deal. And then there comes a the philosophical question because constitutionally, the accused has a right to a, a speedy trial. But as we know, our you know state governments across the country skirt that skirt that bill of skirt that one bill of right a lot. Okay, again, AJ Johnson did not get the right to a speedy trial. He had to wait four years and put his whole career on hold, only to be found innocent within like thirty minutes of the case concluding. It, very quickly. So with Mc- Dave, what do you think philosophically? If you're Josh Heupel, do you say I'm playing the guy it's on y'all to build the case. If you think he's guilty, convict him. But until you convict him, I'm not going to put his career on hold just because you guys don't give him the trial in time that he needs. Um. Well, how many games did he miss last year? Do you remember? Because it was like two weeks. He missed the Alabama game. Yeah. He missed like- the Alabama game. Um. So I would say this, I would go ahead and play him. Um, that that wouldn't that wouldn't stop me. I mean, at the end of the day, this is punching a guy, and yeah, you know, I I would be lying to you if I sat here and said that I didn't punch a guy in college on more than one occasion. So I'm not going to I'm not going to come down holier than thou. And I I definitely would have punched a guy if he'd have walked into my girlfriend's room now the gray area is caleb how far did he follow him out how drunk was the guy did he say hey man you're in the wrong room and the guy immediately left or did he hang around and say hi your girlfriend's hot or something like that i mean the amount of gray area could could fill albert einstein's head so I, i mean i don't know how this shakes out i would think that there would wouldn't there be some sort of resolution before it actually goes to jury trial? Wouldn't you think? You would have thought, but maybe, again, some, maybe this is a McCullough situation where he doesn't want to settle because he feels that he did nothing wrong and he wants to make the point that he did nothing wrong. And so, I mean, I can't, I can't fault that. I can't blame him for that. <clears throat> now, on the message board, Rocky Top Tom says, there is no philosophically, if I'm coach, I don't want this mess anywhere near the program at all. Don't care about fault. Don't care about context. If I'm coach, I care about the program. I, I respect your opinion here, Tom. I do. But I don't think it's right to sideline a guy's career for something that is very could be very, very defensible. I don't know how defensible it is. And evidently there's enough gray area where they're going to pursue the charges, but Caleb, I mean, this could turn into a lot of different things. And I do think it's important to point out what are they supposed to say? But McCullough's defense has said, absolutely innocent. Those are the words they use. So they, they are digging their heels in the stand. You typically in the sand. You typically wouldn't do that unless you felt really good about your case. It could be posturing, but Typically, when I've seen lawyers use that those type of terms, they feel really, really, really good about their case. Yeah, and and DAs are different across the country. I don't know if Knoxville has the same DA that exi- was there in 2014. But for people that question You're whether or not the AJ Johnson case, yes. Well, I but would that DA had not a sh- I'm not look we don't know what happened with AJ Johnson Mike Evans I think it was Mike Evans I, maybe not Mike there was another player we don't know what happened with AJ Johnson the other player and that girl nobody does only they know what we do know is there wasn't a shred of evidence and there was going to be an easy acquittal and the DA still brought the case and spent four years on the case that was 
an obvious case that they were going to lose. They were obviously going to lose that case, and they still spent four years on it. So just because the DA brings the case to trial doesn't always mean that they have the evidence. I, I think sometimes there is a there is a little bit of an ambition for a lot of DAs of I'm going to take on the football team. And you know, okay, that, Th- that is that is true. There is also oftentimes ambition for civilians. Um to try to continue to further charges against athletes in hopes that they have money. That's something that we haven't talked about with NIL going after a kid who you know, didn't just had a scholarship, nothing else 10 years ago was not the same as potentially going after him now. Now I, I am the type of guy that I'm going to side like Tom, I'm going to side on the side of the legal system and the police nine times out of 10 but this is the one time out of 10 where I'm just going to tell you I'm not sure. And I hope that's not a cop-out. But I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows except for about four people, Burrell, McCullough, girlfriend, punched guy, what really happened that night. So I hope they find a resolution without it going to trial. Let's talk about this. Strictly from a football standpoint, you could argue Jalen McCullough is Tennessee's best defense back. He's definitely the most important. I mean, we talked to Fred earlier about the knowledge, what, how experience is crucial when you're playing the safety spot. He's the only experienced safety on that team. And experience at safety covers a lot of times for deficiencies in the rest of the secondary, i.e. Trey Flowers last year. And Tennessee might have needed that from Jalen McCullough this year. So this is a huge loss for Tennessee. I mean, you couldn't. If, if he doesn't play. If, if, if. if he, yes, if he doesn't play. If he doesn't play, this is a huge loss. I mean, this guy covers – Tennessee is going to have issues at cornerback again. And Jalen McCullough is the type of guy that you're going to need to cover for some of those deficiencies. Uh, I mean, that, you can't understate how big of a loss this would be or overstate how big of a loss this would be for Tennessee. To answer your earlier question, I had a second to think about it. I'd just play him. I really would. I think he sat two games. If worst case scenario, he got in a fight on the strip and punched somebody. That sounds like a two game suspension to me. Yeah. I mean, my, my thing on this is as long as like the person someone... isn't seriously physically injured, I, I think it was, was it Tony Franklin, the defensive tackle in an Tony McDaniel, Tony, Tony McDaniel, McDaniel, excuse me. And I combine him and Abreu Franklin, I think, but Tony McDaniel punched a guy and the guy's jaw was broken. And I thought Tennessee was too soft on him. It's it's, it is the punch. It is the action, but also what happens from the action is a factor. How injured are you? And by all accounts, the guy got hit in the head, but he well, also severely injured. It's a different situation. Tony McDaniel, that was an intramural basketball game. It's where you do the punch matters. If McCullough punched a drunk guy who came into his apartment <laughs> versus you punching somebody right. in an intramural game, I mean... Totally agree. Are- but you would agree, too, that the broken jaw is worse than a bloody lip, right? Absolutely. Yeah, broken jaw, you're you're drinking, you're eating through a straw for the next six weeks. Travis says if I'm hypo and I sincerely believe his innocence, he's gonna play, do what's right. I agree with that. If I'm hypo and I believe his innocence, and I've said this before, you can lie to the police, not that you should, you can lie to your lawyer, you can lie to everybody, but if you lie to your head coach, you've just really messed up your career. So there is always the understood rule that you don't lie to the coach. You tell him what happened. As long as he's done that, yes, I have no problem playing him whatsoever. So 
if I believe he's innocent, he's going to play. But if I believe that he's only partly guilty, like he maybe walked him down three or four steps and punched him, I'm going to play him too. Does that make me a bad person? No. Because the guy could have turned around and said, listen, Jack Wagon, I'm not, it was an accident. You're an idiot. Um, Why don't you go bleepity bleep bleep bleep? And then, you know, at that point, you're pretty mad about not only him walking in your girlfriend's apartment, but also him cursing you. Again, this is all hypothetical and speculative. But if that happens, in my younger days, I would be apt to punch somebody. And let's break this down, too. Like, okay, let's just think about this for a minute. What's more likely to be true here? A drunk guy, look, I've, I've been obnoxiously drunk. We all have. But a guy who, we know he was drunk. He he admitted himself he was drunk and walked into McCullough's apartment. So what's more likely? A drunk guy escalating tensions because he's drunk and feels like he can. Or, or a football player who stands to lose everything facing a guy out of his apartment down a flight of steps. Like, which one is more likely to be true? I'm, I'm with you. Usually when I have a problem with the drunk guy and he walks away, that's the end of it. I'm like, good. He got away from me. I don't yeah. go re-engage with him. Tom and I didn't completely agree throughout the show, but there's his latest post. We definitely agree on that. Don't lie to coach or grandma. Dim's the rules. That's absolutely <laughs> right. Thank you, Tom. Even though we didn't agree, great give and take there. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. I'll give you a review of the Foo Fighters. Next time I see you, this has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.